Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for your police records. Not the band. The ones from your white-collar drug conviction. We know you got out in a week. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. I think the writing songs is is an act of love. The creative process, you know, it's goofy and impossible to explain. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fuchs Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein Ah-hoo, werewolves of London Ah-hoo, ah-hoo Oh, Ryan, it's such a good one this week Oh boy, oh no, what have I done? I'm really excited for this one I had this cherry in my eye, an apple in my eye long ago when we were talking about this and I finally decided to pull it out, to whip it out, to throw it at you, uh-huh. to see how you would respond to it. I'm talking about an album, by the way. <laughs> Not the splatter on my bubble. No, no, no. <laughs> the fog has lessened on your bubble, though. I appreciate that. Thank you. I hope everyone else's bubbles are doing okay. Ryan, yours is looking in tip-top shape. Thank you. It's a lot of polishing, a lot of worrying goes into it bubble upkeep you gotta bubble up <laughs> so this week we are talking about warren zevon's third studio album excitable boy and i am an excited boy to discuss it this is my first time ever listening to a warren zevon album all the way through first time well i knew the well i knew the hit i knew <laughs> i knew the one on here yeah and i had never had a particular aversion to him i just never we were just talking about Black Sabbath off the call. I just, I, you know, there's certain artists I've just never quite done the dive into, and this was one of them. And man, I liked this one. <laughs> this is a good album. Io Warren, I'll shout him out. Max Phillips, one of my best friends, if not my best friend. I've known him since I was in second grade, and his dad had this CD in his CD collection. Yeah, I still remember looking at the red of yes. the cover, the tint of the Zevon lens. You can't, is this a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a yeah. nerd? Is he a rock and roll? I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And you put it on and it was one of these albums that broke the conventions that I had heard in popular music up to that point. Yeah. Where we're in the seventies. This, this thing came out January 18th, 1978. It's an asylum record and everybody knows Werewolves of London. Right. It's a number 21 
top 40 hit. It's on the charts for six weeks for Warren. It's a big, big song. Big song. That's staple of classic rock radio. Everyone's heard this song. Very funny, very dark, macabre, you could call it. This whole album is that. And I didn't get a lot of this stuff when I was a kid, and I didn't understand just how severe and how beautiful the black humor and the satire are on this album. Yes. And despite all that, it remains Zivon's best-selling album of his whole career. And they say his, I mean, critically his best one. That could be argued. It could be the one before. There's some other ones. But I mean, this is the one. And so I'm so glad that you liked it. Oh, I loved it. I, You've given me some albums that turned into my favorites. Trouble in Paradise from Randy. Another Green World from Eno. Those are the two, I think, biggest ones that stick out in my mind as yeah. the ones that penetrated my taste the most. This one is up there. I really, really, just from song one was like, oh, okay. I, yeah. All right. And then by second, third, fourth spins on the record, I was just convinced of his genius, kicking myself for not listening to it up to this point, but also kind of excited that I'm able to find albums in my life like this that are, you know, turning into my favorites that I didn't know were there. The aesthetic, you point out the aesthetic. I wouldn't say that it turned me off to wanting to learn more about him. Yeah. But it definitely did confuse me because it is, like you say, there's sort of a, there's like a nerdy quality to him, but then that's incongruous with his voice. And it's a little unclear what genre he even wanted to kind of play in. And so, yes, I don't know. I found it kind of confusing to the point where I just sort of labeled it a curiosity and moved on in my life as opposed to wanting to know more. Yeah. Uh, and, and so just getting to know this record, I don't know if I have a better handle on what he wants his genre to be necessarily. Yes. But I appreciate just the um, his attitude and his humor and it's very consistent with Randy and with some of these artists that are just kind of sarcastic assholes, but do it in a way that is really lighthearted and enjoyable. Makes total sense to me. Because he was a complicated guy. Guy from the Midwest, did bands like I'm sure we all did the band thing. He moved out to LA for some time. He was in New York as a folk singer. He put out this record called Wanted Dead or Alive in 1969. There was a big, big bomb Okay, I was going to ask about that because I didn't know if that one performed at all or not. It did not perform very well. ended up in the early 70s touring around with the Everly Brothers and he just (laughs) he ended up just moving to Spain in the summer of 1975 because he was so sick of the music business and he lived and played in a bar in a small town and this were a lot of some of the inspiration for some of these songs he turned his sadness and his frustration into humor and anger and (laughs) just some of the riest pithiest laconic lyrics I've ever read. Nick Lowish in that way. Exactly, exactly like Nick Lowe. And so Jackson Brown, I mean, the rumor goes, I don't know if I'm getting my stories right, but like Jackson Brown was like, hey, you got to come back 
to the game. We got to get you back, man. And he produced his self-title. And that, I mean, that is an unbelievable record as well. Tell me about your uh, uh, early relationship with Jackson Brown. Was he responsible for getting you a legitimate record deal? Yes, he was. I had uh, moved away, far away from Hollywood. I was not having a great deal of success there. Yeah. I was living in Spain and Jackson uh, twisted arms and that sort of thing and uh, sent me a postcard and suggested that I come home yeah. and produce the first album. Now, what were you doing in Spain exactly? I was singing country and western songs in an Irish bar. <laughs> but he was surrounded, Zevon, at the time with guys like Jackson Brown and Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham, you know, everybody in Fleetwood Mac, and then just all the players of that time. Yeah. And so, I mean, the reason I'm saying this, if you even look at who's on this record, Jackson Brown, yeah, guitar, vocals, McVie, Fleetwood, you got the Gentleman Boys. <laughs> which is Jackson Brown, Jorge Calderon, Kenny Edwards, J.D. Southern, and Waddy Watcher, like all of these great session guys and writers. Yeah. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt sings background <laughs> vocals on Excitable. Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> well, we've been looking for a project to do together for a while. And there were, what, uh, four or five songs on there that became classics? Classics. <laughs> Popular? <laughs> Four of them were sung by Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, which one were those? It was uh, Carmelita, Poor Poor Pitiful Me, Mohammed's Radio, and Hasten Down the Wind. Yeah, um, nice work. I hear mariachi static on my radio, and the tubes they glow in the dark, and I'm there with her in Ensenada. I think I'm sinking down And I'm all strung out on heroin On the outskirts of town He's just surrounded by all these people and he had he was brought back to LA, he had a success and then he's working on this album and this thing explodes. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into it. He didn't even really think Werewolves of London was worthy of the record. Right. <laughs> I read that. I did read a little bit about that one. You know, yeah. and so that's why I find this, I just find this album so entertaining. And for those who know him or don't know him, it's it's worth a revisit. Definitely go grab this and spin it and come back to this album and enjoy it because it's it gets better as I get older. And we'll dive into that with each of the songs. Yeah, there's a maturity to this one, which we will get into a bit. But, you know, this is another one where there's that... Uh, nine-track album, Perfection, right? that we were talking about last episode. You know, there's only nine tracks on this one, and, and that was one Love of the notes it. I wrote that, yeah, you know, you, you've got nothing but great stuff on here. I mean, there's, there's some I like more than others, but ultimately it's just the right amount of punch to get you through it, and I think there's some great dynamics on here, and the production is so clean. Yeah. Do we know who produced this one? Did you did you say that, or maybe I missed it? No, I, I didn't say that. So it was, it was Jackson Brown and Weddy. Watchell. Okay. So Eddie Watchell is a New York guy. He's born in New York, at least. He's he worked on Linda Ronstadt, Stevie Nicks, Keith Richards. So that's where you're getting some of these people. But also the Rolling Stones, okay. James Taylor, yeah, Brian Ferry, 
Andrew Gold, if you know Andrew Gold, wrote the Golden Girls theme. So thank you for being a friend. <laughs> so all of this really well done craftsman-like production and yeah. songwriting. I mean, Jackson Brown, who's he's the gazenith of that. And then this other guy who is behind the scenes doing the same thing. Really good sounding album. Oh, yeah. It's clean. It has a big sound. It's full, but it's also very clean. It's kind of the production I prefer where you yes. know, the, there's a containment. You know, there's not a lot of bleed. It doesn't wander too much from its restriction, but it plays within the restrictions in fun ways. And, and I, I quite like that. Where do you, where do you yeah. land on Jackson Brown? I, I have mixed feelings just because I don't know his catalog super well. And I kind of place him in the same spot. I place James Taylor where I sort of like the vibe, but I don't really delve too much. Yeah. I'm not a fanboy yeah. of Jackson Brown. He has a few songs I love. There's that song Running on Empty. I'm That's a, a good one. Yeah. I like there's on that album. It's a really good song called The Loadout, which is a tribute to roadies and, you know, what happens after the band breaks down. And it's it's a live record. And it goes into this great cover of the song Stay, you know, Stay Just a Little Bit Longer. Really, really cool. Dr. My Eyes. Dr. My Eyes is, the is great. Like. That's, that's the one I That's like. a great song. You also have Somebody's Baby is the one I was thinking of. Well, just look at that girl with the lights coming up in her eyes. She's got to be somebody's baby. She must be somebody's baby. I had a roommate, a good friend of mine, Vin Turo, who loved Jackson Brown, put a lot of Jackson Brown songs on playlists for me and things. And uh, yeah, Dr. My Eyes was on there as well as Running on Empty. Also tracks Jamaica Say You Will and These Days. These days. They're good. In fact, I saw him live. He made a surprise appearance at the Jenny Lewis show Uh-oh. I saw at the Hollywood Palladium because he and Jenny wrote a song together called Under the Supermoon, which just came out on a compilation album and it's excellent. It's a really, really good song. That's great. And I didn't really know anything about him. He was diagnosed with the, uh, he's got the Corona. Oh no. He does? He does. Yeah, he does. I hope he makes it through. Yeah. Anyway, that's my uh, aside about Jackson Brown. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I met Jackson on an early flight. We both said goodbye It's got that folky thing on it a little, I guess, but not really. I think this album is more hard rocking than I was ready for it to be when I first spun it. There's some balls on this one. Yeah, big time. Big time balls. Big big old balls. balls. I also love Warren Zevon just as a, as like a man and a cowboy and a and a drinker <laughs> and just yeah. uh, like, uh he's really good buddies with David Letterman because they both yes. had that same sick sense of humor. Well, I guess Warren did and Dave still does, and we can dig into that. But you know, I sent you that video, Warren near the end of his life. It's his last Letterman appearance, and oh god, <laughs> plays Roland from this album. Rolling the headless Thompson Gunner, and they're just being very candid and direct about life and death. And Warren says that thing, you know, 
he just kind of sprinkles it in the first time he says it, but he comes back to it. He goes, enjoy every sandwich because, yeah. you know, he, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and he died very, he died quickly, not as fast as they said he was going to, but yeah, very uh, somehow gentle, but aggressive and intense. Yeah. S- caustic, but smart and very wordy, very literate. And that's why I think it's like you were saying before, there's a parallel between Courtney and Warren, I mean, it might be a bit of a stretch, but they're both very wordy, very hyper articulate in what they have to say. Yeah. And all the music is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, uh, I, I sent you that an email. I was not prepared emotionally for that interview because they launch right into it. I mean, Letterman asks him point blank out the gate, yeah. right about the lung cancer. And I didn't know that that was what I was walking into. I knew he died around you know the early 2000s i knew that but i didn't um because i remember yeah. all the uh tributes and things but i didn't know it was lung cancer and i didn't know that it was because he had a doctor phobia 20 years didn't and go to the doctor here uh i guess a couple of months ago we all uh, learned that your life has uh, changed radically hasn't it you mean you heard about the flu <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of about the flu yeah 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 well that's true how did, you, how did you learn about it, and, and what is it, and um, how have things been since? What was the order of those questions again? <laughs> Entirely up to you, any way you want to field them. How did I learn about it? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say that I, I might have made a, a tactical error in not going to a physician for 20 years. <laughs> I see, all right. It was one of those phobias that really didn't pay off. <laughs> Uh, the only person that I ever go to is Dr. Stan. You know, Dr. Stan, the I dentist. Oh, the Dr. dentist. Stan Golden. So you go to a dentist on a regular basis. You yeah, and I always said, if he can't fix it, I'm screwed. <laughs> Went to his dentist, didn't go to the doctor. Very, um, very, very fun. It's, it's, he's even laughing at it, about it, on Letterman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had an aversion to doctors for 20 years. You're like, oh, man, you're, come, why didn't you, ah. Yeah, he, he called it what he called it, a gross miscalculation. <laughs> I know we're laughing. The guy died, but it's so they're laughing too. It's funny. Yeah, he was very candid about it. It was actually interesting to see what a dying artist looked like and spoke about and was willing to discuss in that context, and definitely. That was the first time I think I'd ever seen an interview, even with him. Mm. <laughs> was that this this morning? The last went, oh, interview, my. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was funny. It was it was warm, and they were clearly good friends. And you could tell that there were points where Letterman was about to cry. And um, yeah, well, David crazy. Letterman is not a fan of the sentimental, and he suffers no fools, from what I understand. And to see him open up with Warren like that. I, 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 I enjoy that. That's why I, that's really yeah. why I sent it to you. It's compelling content for that reason. Cause Letterman always says that thing after a band plays, if he doesn't like the band, he's to the drummer, like, are these rentals? These your drums? <laughs> you rent these drums? Is that his tell? Yeah. That's that his, his tell. tell. He goes, these rent, these, you rent these drums. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Uh, no wonder he womanized all those people. It's a real power move. I had sex with staff that big New York. I think it was the Post. I don't know if it was the Times. I had sex with staff. And this is just his face up there. 
Yeah, just his big letter face. So what do you say? Are we, where are we, are we? Are we ready? Are we ready to lock and load and head over? Are we in the switching yard, barreling down the tracks towards Bullet? Balls Bullet Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. So for this Paul's Bullet Corner, where I summarize the album in weird poetry, I did something a little different because I was inspired. Oh, no. I have three bullets total, but the first bullet is is a um, is a series. Okay, here's my series. Okay, the first in the series. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought onto this continent a new nation. (laughs) Bring lawyers, guns, and money. The shit has hit the fan. Yes. We say we are going to the moon and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Bring lawyers, guns, and money. The shit has hit the fan. (laughs) Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry and gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and gave me something to drink. Bring lawyers, guns, and money. Shit, as in the fan. We are fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when we declared with one voice, bring lawyers, guns, and money, the shit has hit the fan. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. <laughs> Bring lawyers, guns, and money. Shit has hit the fan. It's, uh, well, that, that was it. So, I, and all of that is to say that song is very universally, um, uplifting. Uh, bullet number two. Bullet <clears throat> two. Tramps like us. <laughs> Baby, we were born from adults like Warren Zevon, so brush <laughs> your damn teeth and crack open that history textbook. <laughs> you know, he was buddies with Bruce. I believe it. Um, okay, with such disdain. I believe it. I believe it. I, yeah, I believe here, it. The, the last one here as my baby wakes up. The Bleeding Gums Murphy of Piano Rock. Ooh. Then consider me the Lisa Simpson of this podcast. <laughs> and that's my, uh, that's my He did it again. All right. So should we, should, we, uh, should we start up with Johnny striking up the band, eh? Yes, we shall. Johnny strikes up the band, track one. Dry your eyes, my little friend. Let me take you by the hand. Ready, get ready, rock steady When Johnny strikes up the band They'll be rocking in the project Walking down along the strand Ready, get ready, rock steady When Johnny strikes up the band Freddy getting ready, rock steady at first it sounds like 
you're heading like you're going to Bruce Springsteen town. And then that voice comes in and the voice is the thing that differentiates him from Bruce to me because there's an authority yeah. to it. And it's right. it's almost conversational in its quality, but it's not strained with emotion. It's it's authoritative. It's final. It's it's cold in a sense, but also warm in ways that don't really hit you until later. It's a very unique rock and roll voice. Absolutely it is. He was a singular artist. Yeah, they're just I don't think there'll be another Zevon. He just knew. He just knew how to go and hit you right between the eyes. This song, he's talking about Johnny Carson, the Johnny Carson show. And Are you serious, really? Yeah, so <laughs> I did not know. Yeah, Freddie getting ready rock steady. So that's Zevon referencing Fred DeCordva, Carson's longtime Tonight Show producer. He was the guy Carson always pointed to as his rock, the one who kept him grounded and protected from the NBC brass. But this is Warren's version of, you know, you're saying Bruce Springsteen, his Americana. He's taking us back to a time when people would tune in to the television and watch one show yeah. because there was nothing else on TV. And so from the projects, he's talking about New York City, to the Strand Walk of Manhattan Beach, you know, from coast to coast. And that's why I love his detail, his attention to the details of the lyrics. Yeah, He's just talking about the national popularity of Johnny Carson. It's just a Johnny Carson tribute song. Better than Brian Wilson's Johnny Carson. (laughs) No, I like that song. I mean, I like it too. (laughs) That was the one that, that sprang to mind for me because, and I was just about to ask you, like, what is it with legendary rock singers and Johnny Carson. He was just the man. And he, I guess Johnny Carson was also a professional level drummer. I didn't know So that. musicians loved him. Yeah, he was very good on the drums. And Was he ever on uh, Johnny Carson, Ziva? I actually don't know that. I would love to figure that out, but our no Googling oh, policy yeah. prevents I'm not, me. I'm not going to Google it. Yeah, somebody write us in. Tell us. Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe hearing this song for the first time other than to say that it felt strange yet familiar and there's a delicate almost restrained quality to his piano except when he wants to place emphasis somewhere and that's what i mean by dynamics he's yeah. pointing you in the direction that he wants you to hear it's not a barrage of noise it's not no. a everything is the same tone he is very purposeful with how he's guiding your ear. Totally. Around. I guess that goes with Jackson Brown's production, stuff like that, too. But, you know, it's it's a sophisticated tune. All of these are sophisticated songs. And there's so much soul in it just because his voice. His voice, is yeah. so booming. His voice is the know? best part. Really down there. And there's not a better intro song. None of these songs kill in terms of intro like this one does. It just it's is so good. Hits you right in that riff. Bum, ba, dum. Great, great song. Yeah, now that you mention it, I guess I know why he's going for that particular type of chord progression. It does sound a little late 90. Yeah, it has that 70s, I don't even know how you describe it, orchestrated. Yeah, it's a complex chord progression for sure. Just walking down from the sixth chord, all the different chords and the different I mean, this isn't a musical theory. You're not here to get lectured on musical <laughs> theory, folks. No. You're here for some laughs and hey. some gaffs and mm-hmm. some tracks. <laughs> yes. Uh, laughs, yeah. gaffs, and tracks. Another working title. Oh, no. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, that, that one's 
a palate cleanser as far as I'm concerned. It's just a great live, popular live track he did as well. But track two, whoa, Jesus. Roland <laughs> the Headless Thompson Gunner. Roland was a warrior from the land of the midnight sun with a Thompson gun for hire, fighting to be done. The deal was made in Denmark on a dark and stormy day. So he set out for Biafra to join the bloody fray. Through 66 and 7. A devastatingly sad portrayal of Biafran violence. Yes. You know, again, I, when I said in my bullet corner that tramps like us were born to the adults that were worn Zivon, I, what I meant to say is there's nothing juvenile about this album. It no. really does come across as an adult telling you about the world, but not in a um, a condescending way, in a comforting but also like... I don't know, educational way. <laughs> yeah. I feel like all these songs is him teaching us a lesson. Yeah, definitely you're getting taught a lesson. So I mentioned he went to Spain previously. And so this is where he met the co-writer of the song, David Lindell. And so David was running a bar after working as a stint as a mercenary in Africa. Wow. And so Zivon, who, you know, he just loves the darker side of his life buys into David's stories. He's like, well, let's, you know, let's write the song. I want to hear about what's going on. So, I mean, the over, you can listen to the lyrics and you can get it. We'll dive into the lyrics, but I don't want to spend too much time on the song because there's so many, we could go line by line through all these songs and this could be a, a, a 14 hour podcast where you're like, right. ah. Well, I pulled a stanza out here. I have uh, the eternal Thompson Gunner still wandering through the night. Now it's 10 years later, but he still keeps up the fight in Ireland, in Lebanon, in Palestine, in Berkeley. Patty Hearst heard of the burst of Roland's Thompson gun and bought it. I mean, what he's, I think what he's doing there is relating it to every other horrible conflict that came to mind. You know? Yeah, that, those are all the things that were going on at the time. So Palestine, that's the Middle East, everything that's been going on there. Ireland, you know, just the, I mean, we could, the we could IRA and, right. It's not a, it's not a history podcast. You can look all these horrible war stories, but that's Warren tying it. So basically the story is Roland is the best gunner that this group of people have. And at Van Owen, fucking Van Owen, man, he gets orders to take him out and so blows his head. And so, I mean, obviously Roland, he's not going to, yeah, his, his, his head is gone, but he <laughs> hunts Van Owen down. Jesus. And he takes his revenge, but he's unable to die, I guess. And so he wanders through all of the remaining wars and problems through history, just haunting people and blowing stuff up. It's such a great image. It's so yeah. cool, man. So it's funny. There's a comic book, an old DC comic book called... Uh... The Haunted Tank, which is a very similar thing. It's yes. about a uh, Civil War general uh, who, do, who does that. Uh, the structure of this song I find very interesting. It starts with a um, a dread, kind of a minor chord, and then the middle bits sort of raise up into a more of a major key, and then we're back in sad territory. It echoes the main character, who I, I assume is a youth 
who's kind of scared to go to war, then briefly thrilled by it and then destroyed by it. You know, it's a a smart construction to the narrative and and the song echoes that. Right. Really cool. I'd like to point out, so I didn't even know this until I was researching for the podcast, Roland, the headless, so he's the headless one, but a Thompson gun it's a machine gun, a submachine gun. It's a brand of gun. Yeah, Tommy gun. I didn't know that. And so that's, again, Warren's attention to the lyrics. Like, oh, he's talking about a Tommy gun. That's interesting. Yeah. It's just such a cool song. And it, it was the one, the last one he played on Letterman. Letterman's, I mean, supposed, you never really know these things, was his favorite Warren song. And hmm. just great. Dark, severe. Track two. You're like, oh, Johnny strikes up the band. Now I'm being haunted by a headless mercenary seeking revenge. Oh, and he's a ghost. I was going to point out this is that conflict. I think it's, is this the Nigeria Biafra conflict? The Yes. Yeah, so that's the one of the reasons John Lennon stated for returning his MBE to the uh, British government. Oh, Johnny boy. Yeah, it was the uh, was it for the Nigeria Biafra thing, I think, as John put it, <laughs> and for cold turkey slipping down the charts. Anyway, yeah, yes. Anyway, there was one more line, and then we'll just one last thing we can go on. I, yeah. The attention to detail, where he's saying, Roland aimed his Thompson gun. His head's gone at this stage. You're in verse three. Roland aimed his Thompson gun. He didn't say a word. Well, he couldn't because he didn't have a head, but he says it anyway. <laughs> And that's, it's the, it's the dry sense of humor. I missed it until I'm sitting here reading it. It's like, wait, how you, why would you even say that? Why are you pointing that out? <laughs> I guess that's the humor in it where I find a lot of this stuff very funny. But yeah, track three, though. The title track, Excitable You're Boy. just, I'm on a, I'm still ramping up on the roller coaster. Yeah. song i don't know if this song the next song or the last song in the album are my favorite but they all touch the same part of my brain and heart where yeah so i mean look i didn't come up with this folks but this is a song about a man an excitable boy right so it's a play on these tropes of Oh, he's just an excitable boy, you know. Oh, he's right, rough. Right. He's they're fighting in the house, so he broke his legs. Will be boys. This guy ends up taking a girl to prom, doing some bad stuff, killing her, bringing her home. Yeah, he gets locked away, and when he gets out, he builds a cage out of her bones. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, this album, by the way, is terrific, and congratulations on your success. Tell me about. Uh, excitable boy is this uh, is there any truth to the story that this is in some way uh, autobiographical uh, the culinary part of the, the culinary part yeah. uh, you actually rubbed a pot roast all over your chest <laughs> well, 
Yes, I did. I was in... Now, th uh, why exactly? Well, remember, the, there's an expression, isn't there? Rub it on your chest. I don't know. It came through my mind. I felt enthusiastic. And mm -hmm. I wanted to express my appreciation for this. And this fine cooking. Just slopped it right on? Yeah. <laughs> was, did you enjoy it? The, the pot roast or the, the smearing No, part. the actual part of rubbing it on your chest. You know what this one reminded me of was that Randy song. Um, was it Mikey's Place? Or it was the song on Trouble in Paradise where he's talking about... Oh, there's a party at my house or there's a party at my house tonight. Yeah. It, this one reminded me a lot of that because I... Got the rope! Know, it's kind of a... Yeah, right. That's the one. So it's it's all it's sort of bouncy and stuff. And then you listen closely to the lyrics and you're like, what? Yeah, um, it's look, he, this isn't I mean, they say all art is autobiographical. And yes, he did rub a pot roast all over his chest at a dinner, which is a lot of where the inspiration of the song came. But he just kept heightening and heightening it. But I, like, is there a better punchline for a joke than a yakety yak sax <laughs> against these <laughs> lyrics? Um, yeah it's jangly it's a jangly little song and there's um yeah the sax and the ooze the ooh excitable boy i don't know it's funny and uh and happy and terrifying and awful and all that stuff and 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 sarcastic in the way that you know again struck that randy chord in me but uh, right. I, I appreciated the humor about it even though it's a dark subject matter good humor but also just great music good chord yeah. progression good melody is you know could this have been a, a hit song if it wasn't about the horrible things it's about maybe yeah i mean you sent me that video of him performing it live and that struck me too just how animated of a performer he is live he yeah. was he when they when they say in the song that he threw water on his back or whatever he actually takes water and throws it on his back and stands up and stuff it's, oh yeah it's great so really live good. instead of saying he rubs a pot roast over his chest he threw he, i throws water <laughs> all over himself and he throws the water and he's just a maniac he's like a werewolf yeah he actually is a werewolf like live so get this and then we'll go on to the next track five singles off of this album Wow. Single one, Johnny Strikes With Up the nine Band. Tracks. <laughs> nine tracks, five singles. This is how I prefer albums to be. Bring your hot your heat. But yeah. really, you limit my time with this thing. Johnny Strikes Up the Band one. Excitable Boy was the second single. Neither of these really connected until track four, Werewolves of London. <sighs> ah, so ooh. good. Ah, ooh. Ah, ooh. Werewolves of London. I saw Lon Chaney walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's And his hair was perfect I mean, this one is a classic. Like, everyone on planet Earth knows this song. Yes. Everyone. Yeah, so what is there to say? How do you feel about this one? I think I literally wrote what can be said about this. Like, it's a it's a top song of mine, but 
like when you hear it on classic rock radio there's a uh, an expectation about it you know like any of these big hits from the 70s or 60s or 80s or something like that but but it's so captivating i find it funny but at the same time i also find it as timeless as like blue suede shoes yeah you know there's a simple quality to it i could see elvis presley covering this song or little richard or weird al yankovic like i could see any one of them covering it yeah in a different way and doing it with a similar justice just in a uh, through a different lens right you know it's really really good yeah so i agree so quickly the song began as a joke by phil everly of the everly brothers i've read this 75 (laughs) so it's two years before they started recording 75 three years before it's released Everly was watching a broadcast of a 1935 film called Werewolf of London. He suggested it to Zeevan. He's like, oh, you you should take this for a song and even a dance craze. And Zeevan's right. like, ah, I don't know. But they wrote it in 15 minutes. Zeevan <laughs> and, and a couple other guys. It's a few songwriters. Oh, those royalties, those guys. How lucky are those guys? Best 15 minutes of their lives yeah. spending that was time. That first thought, best thought? It, right. And so... <laughs> Warren wasn't taking it seriously. Jackson Brown's like, oh, I love this. And he started playing it. Yeah. And and that's when uh, Warren was like, oh, I think, no, this is my song. I think I want this song. And yeah. I mean, the rest, as they say, you know, is history. I'm very fond of Werewolves of London. And I've never minded doing it every night. And I've always thought it was a little haughty of people who wouldn't do their old hits for, for the crowd, you know, for the customers. But... Uh, I've also said that had I not had that hit, I would have been regarded as a very successful folk singer. But apparently it was it was a difficult song to get down in the studio. They tried a lot of different configurations and tempos and things. And what I find most interesting is it's basically just Fleetwood Mac and Warren Zevon and the producer. Yeah. So <laughs> very funny from from dreams to werewolves of London. I mean, Fleetwood Mac at the height of their powers, too. I mean, this is... Totally at the height. This, this is at the at the zenith of them. It's funny, I just got to... I, I bought a copy of Rumors on vinyl just because I never owned it on a vinyl record before. Yes. When that band was on, they were on. <laughs> it was, they were tight. It's, it's really yeah. about Mick Fleetwood. He, what a drummer. But, you know, I, I, I think we can move on from this, but I think the only thing I may want to address is all the Lon Chaney stuff is how just how yeah. brilliant it is. So Lon Chaney walking with the Queen. Yeah, t- tell me. I, I don't know any of the background of that. Here's That's what the- I understand. Obviously, I'm just a guy uh, with a podcast. I'm a professor of. <laughs> I don't have a degree in any of this. Shit. What's that? The 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 uh, when David Wallace is talking to Michael Scott is like Michael. Who told you that? And he goes, "It was my understanding. It was my understanding. It's to my <laughs> understanding." So Lon Chaney Sr. released in 1927 a silent horror film by MGM starring, you know, Lon Chaney. And I guess no copies of this exist. And he wasn't even, he played a, he played a vampire, not a werewolf. And you're like, okay, well, this doesn't really, this doesn't really make sense. But then when you get to the whole Lon Chaney Jr. thing, this is, right. he played the Wolfman in many movies. The Wolfman okay. in 1941. And I, I call you can look these up, but he's brought when you look at a picture of what he looks like, it's that classic 40s or 50s Wolfman. Yeah. And, right, so, right. and so Zevon, just being the brilliant guy he is, he probably either looked it up or knew he was like, oh, 
uh, Lon Cherini Jr. also did this, and us is great <laughs> for this last verse. And um, but the Trader Vic's line is a a, a bar in London. It's it okay. looks like a California style bar if you look at a picture of it. And I guess by the end of this verse, the hair was perfect line. The yeah. audience every time just sang it back to him. And his hair was perfect. <laughs> it's it's a great line. It's so funny, you know. <laughs> really, really good. I love that in the beef chow mein. You know, I, oh, yeah. every time I'm looking at a Chinese menu, I think of Werewolves of London <laughs> every single time. Uh, trying to get a big dish, you know. Can I get a big dish of beef chow mein? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm more of a beef chow fun guy, yeah. I found out. But I just appreciate the fact that, you know, beef chow mein got such a big shout out. Big shout out from Lee Ho Fook. <laughs> Apparently that's a real place too. But anyway, track five, accidentally a martyr. I listened to this song once and was singing along to it. Great, great song. The phone don't ring. No, no. And the sun refused to shine. Never thought I'd have to pay. Such a long, long time We made mad love Shadow love Random love And abandoned love Accidentally Like a martyr The hurt gets worse And the heart gets harder How do you accidentally become a martyr? I guess maybe that's the whole point. I, I mean, that's what I love about it. I mean, a martyr is someone who dies for a cause and becomes bigger in their death than they were in life. So there's a... Actually, he's talking about martyrs as if they're pathetic here. He's, he's talking about how you should pity a martyr and not hold a martyr up. And, right. And he's, he's doing it with the backdrop of a love song. Classic Zivon. And there's another Brucey, like this is another one that I got Springsteen quality, but again, more mature than Bruce. If Bruce is the teenager, Warren is the late 30s divorcee telling him how it really is. The grizzles, yeah. Like, come here, young man. Yeah, Bruce is romanticizing everything, putting everything on a pedestal, and Warren's throwing cold water all over all of his teenage <laughs> zeal, you know? I love the double-time piano and the weepy slide guitar and the descending oh, yeah. verse. Just gorgeous songwriting. Just gorgeous everything. One thing I wanted to ask you about, he name-checks uh, Time Out of Mind, which was funny because I didn't know what the hell that was. And so I looked it up, and it was apparently a movie. Oh, um, yeah. It was a movie and uh, also a book. And also later, a Dylan album. So that's where I knew it from. I knew Bob Dylan named a uh, an album, Time Out of Mind. And it's also a track off of a Steely Dan album called Gaucho. Which I, <laughs> I know that album. Yeah, yeah, I know that album too. So yeah, it's a, it's a common used phrase, but it, it jumped out to me, the Time Out of Mind thing. Well, yeah, I guess the... I looked that up too while we were researching. You're talking about the one from the 40s. The yeah. Right, and right, so right. the premise of that is, I guess, a, a son of a 
wealthy family decides he's going to go pursue a career in music. So maybe that's what this tune's about. Especially that line, never thought I'd have to pay so dearly for what was already mine. Right, (laughs) right. Yes. And that's, that's your music. The music is yours, but the career is the thing you have to pay for. Yeah. Um, I also love the line, the hurt gets worse and the heart gets harder. It just, so devastating, man. It's just, it's great. Yeah, it's really, really good. Apparently, though, it's a song about divorce, but it could be about a lot of things. I think his struggle in the music business, it has a lot of, how do I want to phrase this? The tendrils of that snake themselves around a lot of the lyrical themes of his albums, especially after this. But yeah, really, really nice song. Yeah. I mean, after the after the first four songs, it's a welcome sort of brings you down a bit. If it was track one, I would have been turned off. But like, yeah. you know, we were talking about with the last, the, the Courtney Barnett album, it's, it's placed at the right spot to make you primed and ready mm. to give it a shot. Really beautiful. Maybe my favorite on the album, I think. Oh, that's very nice. So this song, the next song, Nighttime in the Switching Yard, this is the only sort of sour spot on the record for me where... Oh, give me that funk, baby. Oh, you like it. You like this one. Oh, I love it. You know know why I love it? Why is that? It reminds me of Shakedown Street by The Grateful Dead. Oh. And it reminded me of Shakedown Street to the point where I had to check which came out first, and Warren beat Shakedown Street to the punch. Wow. <laughs> Warren uh, released this one in January 78, and Shakedown Street came out in November 78. So it was very close. It was in the same year to the point where I think the Grateful Dead must have been copying it to a, to a right. point. But I have a real soft spot for, like, disco, and so this kind of gave me that... You know, kind of scratch that disco itch. Disco allergy. I want to just make it clear that it's not about that. There's no story. That's where I go. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just a group. It's just we're dancing in the in yeah. the switching yard and trains are whizzing by. Okay, maybe I guess now that I said it out loud, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called it seasoned disco. Like, there's still a sophistication to it. It's like m- what McCartney does when McCartney does disco. There's still right. an undercurrent of. You know, that 60s crowd building the songs right. But 
yeah, I don't know. I just liked, I liked that it picked me up after the last track, and I think I just really came back to the production. I just it is that very crisp. very good production. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good, so good. That quadruple time bass chugging to echo the see that train that midnight train runs both ways bit like it the it's so ugh. you're selling Chef's me on kiss. the song paul make me like a thing i don't like like it more <laughs> cool another good one another great one see so i was just burning right along here got three more veracruz so this another we're back to what he was doing before heavy set of lyrics It's this, I don't know, what would you call this? Like an acoustic rock ballad, but it has a Mexican sort of flair to it. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I, well, of this song, I didn't, of the bunch, this is the one that I like the least. Mm. I do love a good Woodrow Wilson reference. Who doesn't? That's the clo- you know, that's the closest thing New Jersey's ever going to come to a president. Now, I do hear he's a raging racist, so that's not great. But he was president of Princeton University, and you know what? New Jersey needs something. They definitely do. So I guess this song dramatizes the American occupation of Veracruz, which was a Mexican territory during the Mexican Revolution of 1914. It's it's sort of sad, and yeah. you know the, the historical story is, again, sad. It reminded me of Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner, but I liked it less than that song. You know, fine. It, it reminded me, actually, of... Um, hurricane a little bit uh, okay. from dylan where he's sort of just recounting a story and and that's when i like dylan the least when he's just doing sort of historical fiction and bulk tunes but yeah it's fine it's okay so the bridge where the spanish is spoken i found a translation of it he's saying that day i swore towards the port i will return although destiny changed my life in veracruz i will die that day i swore He's painting a little, a lot of his music is cinematic. There's a few other tracks where yeah. I feel like I'm in Hollywood when I'm listening to this stuff. And yeah, I will admit, I don't go back to this one as often as I'd like, but I'm not turning it off if I'm playing it on vinyl. You just let it cruise yeah. right through. Veracruz. Veracruz right through. That one's for free, everybody. <laughs> Tenderness on the block. This is where... So now the album is picking right back up, ramping right back up. This is a Jackson Brown co-write. Mama, where's your pretty little girl tonight? Trying to run before she can walk. That's right, she's going up. She has a young man. Did you pick up the story on this one at all? So 
I think it's about a parent of a pining teenager who is trying to go out, sort of a cats in the cradle sentiment, but maybe with a um, a daughter and from the parent's perspective. At least that's what I the vibe I got because um, when I was listening to it, it was giving me big uh, Bruce vibes again. Yeah. This, uh, that song Bruce of Bruce's growing up, it reminded me of that, but from the a flipped perspective. Um, there's that line, well, it's the chorus, wide eyes, she'll be streetwise to the lies and the jive talk, but she'll find true love. Tenderness on the block. You know what, to me, what that said was, that's a parent saying that this child is going to go through some nonsense finding her way, but she'll find her way eventually. Yeah. And there's a hope to the notion that you have to kind of let nature take its course, but also protect her as much as you can, but let nature take its course in a totally sense. Totally right. Yeah. So you say all that. So the, so I guess Ziva, they wrote this song, Zivan got drunk Motherfucker. and pulled the banister <laughs> off of his staircase. No. And so his wife, Crystal, called Jackson Brown. And so this is a Jackson Brown quote. He's like, by the time I got back there to his house, all was calm. And he didn't remember pulling the banister off the staircase. So we just sat down to work on this song. And we obviously didn't stop drinking. <laughs> because I wound up drinking enough to pass out and fall asleep. But when I woke up, the song was finished. Wow. Did, did they have kids? I don't know if Warren and Crystal had kids. I'd have to look that up, but... I don't know. Wow, man, that's... Huh. I really got a parental vibe from this You're one. probably not wrong, Paul. I'm just saying he was blackout drunk when he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I love Warren Zevon. <laughs> I really didn't know he was such a wild man. Oh, he's a wild, wild man. It's good. But that's why you look, you look at the cover and you're like, is this guy just like a nerd? Yeah. Like, I don't want to listen to this. But then you dig in, you're like, oh, no, this is... <laughs> This is rock. This is rock and roll. It's it's it's, roll, it's wild Randy Newman style stuff. It really is. Yeah. So speaking of on that exact same theme, here we are. Whew, last track. What a finale. Ugh. Lawyers, guns, and money. take this as a compliment or as a criticism i posted this on my instagram not too long ago and a friend responded back like wow this is ryan brady as a song i was like what <laughs> <laughs> this is a song about a spoiled rich drunken asshole oh okay fair enough <laughs> well like you know i did get 
vibes of your music in Warren's vibes. I wasn't following uh, the story of this song and equating it to yours or anything, but, you know, I, I could see some of uh, his aesthetic in yours, or at least yeah. maybe what you like about his aesthetic. I get it. I love songs that you're immediately in the action. I, I went home with the waitress the way I always do. <laughs> That's the line <laughs> I wrote down. How was I to know she was with the Russians too? boy again balls on this song real balls going on in the way he's like you know i'm hiding in honduras i'm a desperate man (laughs) (laughs) you sent me a performance of him doing this on letterman and that was great i like seeing him on guitar instead of piano. yeah yeah the 80s fashion in his band is sort of unfortunate. Somebody's oh, it's wild, like, yeah. What appears to be New York Giants pajamas and <laughs> Warren Zevon's wearing this oversized jacket, like suit jacket that looks like four sizes too big for him. Yes. I just love that this song is about a guy who keeps finding himself in tricky situations, but we're to understand that he enjoys the tricky situations. Yeah, he enjoys Loves it. the trouble and loves being cheeky to authority. I just, I love that. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I don't even, I, I barely researched the song because I'm like, nah, this song, don't, just leave it alone. It's so good. Let it stand there. <laughs> the guitar. Oh my God, that screeching guitar at the end. And I also wrote some tasteful hand claps. Amazing. The only thing I did pull is there's just a bit, Zivan has a story about how he wrote this song. So he said, he was in Cuba with his manager and they were in a taxi. And as they rode along, the driver said, I got to make a quick stop. And he pulled into a house and after a few minutes later comes running out with his sister who had apparently been kidnapped, right? Oh my God. So they jumped in the front seat of the taxi and took off while being chased by the kidnappers. And from the back seat, Warren's manager deadpanned, call my dad and tell him to send some lawyers. And Warren replied, also deadpanned, yeah, and some guns and some money. <laughs> and I guess there was a moment in that story and where they're like, oh yeah, I got what this is. We got to write this. So... Excellent. That's it. Excellent. Excitable boy. We made it through another episode and an album. Why am I an old Jewish man now? What's going on? I'm, <laughs> I'm Woody Allen. I'm a Woody Allen over here. Well, I would just like to say in summary that I find his perspective oddly comforting. The authoritative nature of it is relatable. He strikes me as a mentor, a mentor that I don't know and never knew and was dead long before I perceived any music beyond Werewolves of London, but just really enjoyed it ryan thank you well you are very very welcome and thank you to all who listened and we will see you next time yeah you've now heard that do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today contact us at at now hear this podcast on instagram at now hear this pod on twitter facebook.com slash now hear this podcast or email us at nowhearthisofficial at gmail.com. See you next time. Oh, you know what? I didn't even talk about the Warren Zevon yelps where he's like, They're better than Bruce's. Oh, they're so good. And some of them are just like, Good stuff. Really good. All right. Well, we did it. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute Mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate 
featuring the wonderful new donation technology that Acast has developed for us. That's right. Acast has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>